Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Idiot Soup. My name is Danielle. My name is Angelina. Yeah, it's not George. George. George is no longer with us. I'll put some sad music in there. George is no longer with us. But um, yes, George is currently not on this episode because we have a guest. Because we're talking about Beto O'Rourke. And we have uh, a guest who... Robert O'Rourke. <laughs> Robert O'Rourke. But before we begin our podcast, there is a very serious topic at hand that we need to address. What do you guys, as listeners, want to be called? Exactly. We, because we can't call you supers. We have several ideas. Yes. Um, soupies. Soupies. I like that one. <laughs> Soupes. I like that one a little bit. Um, the idiots. I mean, I feel like that idiots. one's... That honestly, one's if you're good. listening to this yeah. podcast, you probably would fit with the that idiot name. supers is too too long it's too long it's also like too predictable mm-hmm. we don't want the listeners to be predictable we need something you know out there out there so um if you're listening to this it means you probably know me so shoot me a text email remind. snapchat remind <laughs> and tell me what what we should call the idiot soup listeners i personally vote for soupies or soupies? idiots idiots Idiot soupies. Idiot soupies. Wow. I have a lot of feelings. Soupy idiots. Soupy idiots. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. You actually inverted the order. That is unpredictable. And that's that kind of pizzazz that we're looking for out of idiot soup listeners. Speaking of pizzazz, let's talk about beta work on that table. Am I right? Uh, yeah. With the like hands shaking, <laughs> con- convulsing. So, like, you, know what, you know what that reminded me of? When. When Huey High Long, School Musical. No. Oh. <laughs> when everyone's singing on the tables. <laughs> when Huey Long is singing on the... No. When Huey Long was giving his speech and, like, he was shaking his fists. Oh, yeah. And, like, you know, like, his hair poof at the top mm-hmm. was shaking along with his fists. Yes. That reminded me of Beto O'Rourke. So Beto O'Rourke is channeling Huey Long. Huey Long's spirit. The kingfish. King. It's a sign. I mean, Kind of hey. deep. That is deep. I mean, both have white privilege. Oh, whoa. <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into Beto O'Rourke's white privilege. So as a general preface, this past week, Beto O'Rourke dropped out of the Democratic primary. And he's one of he was one of the first basically big fish in this race to drop out of the Democratic primary race. However, it should still be noted that there are still currently 17 contenders one, that's one seven. That is like seven more at the very least than there should be at this very moment. There are 17 people still left in the race, but we're going to talk about that kind of more towards the end. We're just going to start off talking about Beto, you know? What went wrong? What went right, if there is anything? Well, and there's <laughs> probably many things that went wrong. Yeah. If you want to start off with money. <laughs> I feel like swearing off um, pack donations is not the right move. Especially when you're trying to run for president. So, I mean, not having money, he says, was one of the bigger parts of why he dropped out of the campaign. But I feel like there are some underlying issues as well. Yeah, I mean, the money thing, to me, that's just kind of like the telltale sign of any campaign coming to its end is running out of money. And he was literally hemorrhaging money. But I mean, like the day that he announced, he raised like he raised more than Bernie $6 Sanders million dollars right. when he announced he was when he was um, running against Ted Cruz in that Senate race. That was the most expensive Senate race mm-hmm. that was going on in the country. He lost at the time. by two point five votes, something along those lines. And even then, 
How did he get so close? Yeah. Well, I think, okay. I feel like he just appealed so much to what people were, what he was saying appealed so much to what people wanted to hear. Yeah. But I feel like his actions just were not matching what he was saying. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's what he did even in the presidential race. Like he said what he thought people wanted to hear, which is why I think he became uh, his most infamous moment when he's on the stage and he says like, we're going to take away your guns. Hell yeah, we're going to take away your guns. Like, that's all, that's all fine and dandy to take a bold stance if that's truly something that you believe. But honestly, at the end of the day, it seems like that's something that Beto just did to be the person that said that, to have his little, like, standout moment. And that, honestly, for me, that's what I think I would pinpoint as the beginning of the end of Beto Works campaign. On another set of something of him saying things that people wanted to hear, how about the iconic moment? Ugh, let me paint the picture for you. Let me just paint the picture. Yes. It's the Democratic debate. Um, Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren are looking in shock at Beto O'Rourke. What did Beto just say? He just started speaking in Spanish. Yes. yes. He just started speaking in Spanish. Hey, he's getting in touch with his roots. Raised in El Paso. A white man. No, no, no. Not a white man. Robert O'Rourke. What is, it? What is his middle name? Francis. Robert He's the white Francis man of Award, El Paso. Who, by the way, named his son Ulysses. Mm. That that's what. Henry can hold no standard. Henry, <laughs> Henry, Henry, Ulysses, and Molly. Like Beto is is white, and I've heard a lot of people who are not white kind of raise issue with the fact that he is playing into this Hispanic heritage thing. Let me. There's okay. <laughs> there's this thing in sociology called um, code switching. And it's usually just for, um, like, when you're conversing with people, it's for discourse, it's for conversations. Oh, um, like, with the way white people talk differently when they're around black people? Yeah, it has to do with accents, language, um, things of that sort. So when he was at the Democratic debate and saying, like, we need to do this, we need to do that, and immediately switched into Spanish with no warning whatsoever, that's code switching. And there's... Several main reasons why people use code switching, some of which are they want to fit in, and I feel like that definitely applies to Beto. Absolutely, um, yeah. Others are to give people what they want to hear, and that's exactly what Beto was doing. He said the same thing in English that he did in Spanish, but he knew that the Democratic debate was going to be aired on a Spanish network, Telemundo. Which is, excuse me if I said that wrong, I, I took French. I honestly, yeah, we both took French, so <laughs> took I don't French. know. <laughs> so my pronunciations of the Spanish words are going to be off. But he knew it was going to be aired on a Spanish network, so he obviously was going to speak Spanish. It took other Democratic candidates by surprise. I would be surprised as well. Yeah. But I feel like the most iconic moment of his campaign for president was... Just Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren's face when he Looking started. It's, <laughs> it's so iconic though. there. If, well, if Shook was a word, if like Shook, Shook could paint a picture perfectly, it, it was, was that. that. Yeah. And I think, I think he kind of missed the memo after Ted Cruz got up there in 2016 and like, donde esta la biblioteca? Like, I think we kind of all agreed as a country that going on a debate and attempting to speak Spanish to appeal to Hispanic or Latinx voters 
is a very tacky thing to do. It's extremely and tacky. It. And what's even more tackier than that, or what's even tackier than that, is completely reinventing your, you know, personal image, your name, and everything. Like, I've seen a lot of op eds just talking about how Beto is so, not to say ashamed of the fact that he's white, but he is like, does not want to identify with his white heritage. And I think. That to me, on a broader sense, on a, on a more deep level, if we're getting woke here, you know, white privilege is real. White privilege is a problem. Being white doesn't make you part of the problem. Being white and not recognizing and identifying your white privilege makes you part of the problem. He doesn't acknowledge the fact that he is a white, no, the white yeah, multimillionaire, the, yes. Robert Francis O'Rourke. Robert Francis O'Rourke. I mean, just let that sit in. I mean, before I knew, before Beta was big, when he just came out as running against Ted Cruz, I obviously knew nothing about him. He was, you know, not big on the national stage. I didn't even know that he wasn't Hispanic. I heard Beto and I just, I made that assumption. I think Beto, he ran off of that. Beto is a Spanish or like Hispanic nickname mm-hmm. for people with their names, Roberto, things like yeah. that. And he's Irish. He's Irish he's American. Irish. Irish American. He's not even anything close. I mean, and his whole like, Main points about like the wall. He needs. He wants to tear down the fences in El Paso, mm. and his whole big thing is like, "Oh, my childhood. All I saw were the fences and things like this, and they need to be torn down." And he's trying to relate with these people that cannot relate to him. Yeah, well, I think that's like the goal of any politician is to try and relate to people that aren't traditionally tapped into, because the generic look of a politician is let's be honest an old white man so recently especially within 2016 and 2018 i mean 2019 it's 2019 there's been this push to kind of identify with these underrepresented minorities like today elizabeth warren just point uh just posted something that she got a endorsement um from i don't know some political action committee about with african-american women you know and that's like that's what people want is they want to connect these underrepresented minorities however I think it's kind of detrimental to these communities when candidates kind of take their issues and pretend that they are personally their own. Like, it's good to identify and recognize the issues of minorities and want to change them. But honestly, I don't think that what Beto was doing in everything with his name to taking those issues on to, you know, I just think that that necessarily isn't as genuine of an intention as a lot of other candidates have. And then it goes on to his past. And I got um, coached by a, not coached, verbally kind of almost yelled at by a previous guest on the show. I'm not going to say his name, but <laughs> if he's listening, he knows who he is. He told me that people change. And especially all the Democratic candidates have changed their views in one way or another. Elizabeth Warren used to be a Republican. Um, and I was, it mainly came up because I was talking about how Beto supported his father-in-law's imminent domain of, well, potential imminent domain of Mexican-Americans' homes in El Paso, Texas, his hometown, to build a mall, which would, of course, boost the terrorism, oh my god, tourism. (laughs) (laughs) That was a nice Freudian slip right there. Someone has someone has harboring <laughs> malicious feelings Ooh. towards Beto It would obviously boost the tourism of his hometown, but would in turn 
be taking away homes from Mexican-Americans, the same Mexican-Americans that he claims to be on their side. And I understand people's views can change, but everything that Beto is doing, like trying to win over their hearts by speaking Spanish on TV, it seems like he's trying to cover up his tracks. And I'm not one to say that people can't change their views, but Beto has spent his, well, did spend his entire president, presidential campaign apologizing for things he did in the past. Because I feel like people just didn't take his presidential campaign seriously. It's one step up from Joe Biden who doesn't mm, apologize and makes the yes. same amount of mistakes, but it's still not on the level of people who identify and recognize their past. However, I think this is a running theme throughout a lot of the Democratic candidates. Like Kamala Harris has failed to identify and recognize her past. Joe Biden absolutely has failed to do this. And like you just mentioned, Beto has failed to do this. But on the topic of like what the buzz about Beto is and how he relates to these people, I'm about to admit a big sin. Okay. I did listen to 40 minutes of Ben Shapiro's podcast this week. I did so in an effort to prepare this episode. I said, I have to know what's going on through his mind. You're biased. I just, I, I just, I would like to preface this by saying that, holy shit, his voice is so annoying. Can we curse on this? Yes, yes. <laughs> I would just like to say that I, I can't listen to it. It's like, oh, he's no. like Bugs Bunny. And also, I've noticed that no matter who he's impersonating, he has one one way to impersonate people and it's a surfer dude accent like when i picture beto at work that i don't picture him like whenever he's doing his beto he's like saw dude gotta go eat the dirt <laughs> this one's for the um listeners of our school y'all remember that um motivational speaker oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who kept on making fun of surfer dudes yeah like, he's like ka and then yeah. there was actually ka in the crowd that was amazing Shout out to Ka. Shout out to Ka. Miss him. And his <laughs> That's on Ka. <laughs> That's on Ka. But yeah, so I was listening to Ben Shapiro's podcast, which honestly makes me very anxious. I have to walk. I can't sit because his voice is, and I have to put it on like half speed because he speaks like this really fast. Anyways, I'm listening to Ben Shapiro's podcast and God forbid me from saying this, he made a point that I thought was very interesting and I thought was actually very valid. And it was that Beto O'Rourke, Robert Francis O'Rourke was essentially a media created candidate. Of course, he took it a little overboard. He was like, oh, he's this mythological creature that lives only in the realms of Facebook. But it was a very good point in that Beto O'Rourke, I mean, think about it. Beto O'Rourke was only relevant when he was running against Ted Cruz because obviously the Democratic media hates Ted Cruz. I mean, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. He's something else. But um, he was saying that Beto O'Rourke was media created and thus essentially was media destroyed. And he basically gave this long drawn out argument that the media shifted their attention from Beto to Warren and later Buttigieg, which we see kind of he's kind of rising up now. But they were saying that the hype for Beto was so created by the media that it could only sustain itself with media. And when Elizabeth Warren made her way into the Democratic field, the media kind of betrayed Beto and left him. And that's a big part of why he, you know, died out. And I mean, I don't know if I think that it's due all in part to the media. I think it also was because he came in during a time of crises, which were very relevant to his home state. So when they had like the shootings in El Paso and everything, he was able to take a personal stance on that issue, on an issue, gun control that has become 
so prominent in the democratic community. And I think that plays into it. But I do agree that the media, that was a very interesting point. I mean, I don't know if you agree or if you disagree with that. I definitely agree. But I think a bigger point is, I think one of the bigger reasons is that there's this whole hype within the democratic community to vote out the incumbents. And obviously Ted Cruz is an incumbent. And Beto O'Rourke is not an incumbent. (laughs) So voting out Ted Cruz would present someone new. And what people want is someone who is an outsider. That is why, I mean, especially in Louisiana, Eddie Rispone is getting such a big rap and almost beating John Bell Edwards because he's considered, well, he considers himself an outsider. I'm not going to say he is an outsider, but he considers himself an outsider. And a lot of people want that within politics. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the biggest things to that we as a as a voting electorate as we as a voting electorate have to realize is that if we want to change politics and the way things are run in the government that you have to work from within. Yeah. Working from within the government is the best way to get things done. And I feel like that's also part of the reason why Robert O'Rourke's <laughs> um campaign failed. He wasn't senator. He Ted Cruz ended up beating him. Yeah. So in the end, he was he still an outsider. Sway, political capital. He was still an outsider, exactly. And not only was he an outsider, I mean, some of the things he did were just kooky. Standing on the table. Standing on the tables. Uh, the vlog that he did at his dentist's office, the Vanity Fair cover, mm. which I didn't even remember the Vanity Fair cover. He was born for, <laughs> born for He was this. born for it. I didn't remember it until Donald, President Trump tweeted, he uh, wasn't born for it. Ha. It was like it was like Beto O'Rourke has dropped out of the race, despite saying he was born for this. And I was like, wow, I he, forgot that even happened. He must have a ghost tweeter. I don't know. Sometimes it it perplexes me for Trump. I know this podcast isn't on him, but no, but say it. <laughs> but the things that he manages to remember and tweet about amazes me. Because in what world would I have ever remembered that Beto O'Rourke? said that he was born to be president on the Vanity Fair issue I that mean, he was in. I'll be honest, if you told me that Donald Trump went to bed thinking of Beto work every night, I would not be surprised. Imagine being that threatened. Anyway. <laughs> Imagine being that threatened by Robert Francis O'Rourke. Even then, there's the whole Ukraine issue with Joe Biden. I just feel like Donald Trump is too threatened in his position of power that he's not feeling comfortable and safe that he has to go out of his way to tell his constituents these are the wrong people i'm the right people does that make sense because he's supposed to be thinking of the constituents but in the end if you're on the phone call with ukraine trying to tell them to make joe biden look bad are you really thinking of the constituents at that point no i don't know when i think he's ever thought of the constituents but that that did make me think of another point related to beto and it's that a lot of, I think a lot of Beto's hype wore off because like you said, the media also really cares about and the voters also really care about who Donald Trump feels threatened by and who he's paying attention to. And he hasn't really been, I mean, he's been making fun of Beto. I mean, he makes fun of everyone. That's what he did. He did it when he ran for president and he's doing it now. But he's made a, he hasn't given a lot of attention to Beto as much as he's given to Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. And that's given them the opportunity to say, hey, this guy's scared of me. I'm the one to take this guy on. I'm the one you want to see in the general election. And I think Beto hasn't really had the opportunity to say that once again because he was he was essentially derived to take on Ted Cruz, not to take on 
President Trump. I feel like he was designed to, in a way, fail, though, because ultimately Ted Cruz won. Mm. Who, who within Texas, besides Beto O'Rourke, had a chance to beat Ted Cruz? No one. Yeah. But Beto O'Rourke losing just further proves the point that Ted Cruz was meant to win. There's, okay. There's <laughs> conspiracy theory. There's, okay, Texas is a primarily red state. Yeah. Both show. <laughs> yes. So if it is a people, deep red state. I never expected Beto to win. Let me put that out there. I never mm. expected him to win. I didn't expect him to come so close. I expect, I'll be honest, I expected it to be like a Tammy Savoy, Steve Scalise situation. Tammy lost, right? Or is there she, a runoff? Yes, there is a runoff. But in her first election, she did run against Steve Scalise, and it was that huge margin between her and, I mean, obviously, Ted Cruz is not as, you know, Steve Scalise is basically a celebrity here. Uh, Ted Cruz has a lot of notoriety, not as much, but I did expect it to be a much larger gap than it was between O'Rourke than 2.5 yeah which i think brings it back to the fact that o'rourke got through that election with a some sense of dignity at least enough dignity to allow him to run president because he was so hyped up by the media you know like you said it was one of those challenges that no one ever really expected him to win so there wasn't really a lot of disgrace in him losing it didn't really you know inhibit his character it didn't inhibit his any future runs that he would want to make for the White House. And I think that is due a lot in part to the fact that he was very hyped up by the media and he lost that when he entered a bigger field. I feel like once he lost and started running for president, people began to take Beto seriously for the things he was saying. Yeah, and he was saying things that are all over saying. the place. So when people started realizing, hey, he's actually running for president, they realized maybe there's better candidates out there because i feel like okay while he does have his views on the nra and the fence in texas i feel like a lot of what he was saying also besides medicare x a lot of what he was saying was what all the other democratic candidates were saying and obviously they're gonna have a lot of the same views they're in the same party but i feel like people realize that one of the people that are more up there like joe biden and elizabeth warren would better represent them. And yeah. I feel like Beto lost a lot of his support. I mean, it's the same way that a lot of people have t a trouble identifying with or putting their support behind Buttigieg because, you know, he's a mayor of a town with like 130,000 people, you know. People say it's hard to put your lob, all your support behind someone when you don't have any real, I mean, like obviously he was representative and stuff, but there's not a lot of stock to put that in. He, you know, once again, lost that Senate seat. But yeah, like you were saying, and I think a lot of it is the manner in which he says something. He seems, he has a lot of moderate views, but he has such an extreme personality. Kind of like the antithesis of Elizabeth Warren, who's known for being very plain, known for being very, you know, stoic in how she says stuff and very, you know, people think that's a little bit of a turnoff sometimes. But he is very eccentric in everything that he says, like his mandatory buyback, even like Kamala Harris supports that. But he's being so radical in the way he's presenting it like oh hell yeah we're gonna take your guns like he's being very inflammatory in how he says something to the point where it's just kind of like he seems like the the, the clown of the room if and you will i feel like trump does the same thing but it works for him but it works for him it works for him I'm, like because i feel like people 
okay so this is going back to sociology <laughs> people like authoritarians and trump is an authoritarian if you disagree with me um please t- text danielle for my number <laughs> and um and y'all can go and do it <laughs> and i and i can tell you why he is an authoritarian but people like he plays off of their fears and i feel like if Beto wanted to go along that route, which I don't think he ever would, he did, he wasn't going about things in the right way. Mm-hmm. So what Trump does is he never stops making inflammatory remarks, so people start expecting it more. So when he does make an inflammatory remark, it doesn't catch people by surprise. When Beto does it, people are making him apologize, making him bring it up over and over and over to the point where he can never get to the root of what his campaign actually was about. So I feel like that led into why his campaign was a joke. He was, I wouldn't say joke, that's kind of mean, but he was essentially... It wasn't as established as the it, rest it was, of the campaign. It was a meme, if I may. It was a meme, because... Meme is slightly nicer than We need joke. to help him, we need to help him get off the table. We we need to tell <laughs> him get how... get off the table. We need to help him with his Spanish accent. We, a lot of people were just making him come off as a joke. Well, I think that that's also due in part to just the way that Beto actually a- attacked and, and, and took on his campaign and the way that he was organizing. I mean, Beto is known for having like the messiest or was known for having the messiest campaign structure out of anyone in this field. There were stories of key Democratic donors that would call his offices and never get called back. People who would say they were going to email and they never sent those emails. You know, his staffers were like notoriously disorganized and all over the place. And the fact of the matter is when you're running a nationwide campaign, you have to have some semblance of organization. And once again, that puts him as completely opposite to Elizabeth Warren, who is known for her like very intense, rigid structure, the way she's doing in Iowa, the way... um, Warren makes sure every single person at every single one of her events has filled out that contact card. Like, dude, Beto could never. So I think that just speaking logistically, if we, if we go away from his personality and his views, Beto's campaign lacked the structure to actually succeed. And I think that also builds into how he rejected traditional styles of media. He was, you know, he didn't really think that he needed to play to the actual established media, written media, uh, online media, because he was essentially a social media superstar, as people have called him. And he thought that his strength in social media could completely, you know, surpass what he needed to get from actual established media. And I think that's just a complete faux pas. I mean, think of the people that are on social media. It's maybe millennials and some um gen z's and 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 gen x's and that's honestly not a majority of the voters majority of the voters is the old white people in america so if you hear this and you're not an old white person please don't forget to vote and register to vote let's very important let's just put that out there on another note they hold a majority we as united states are an aging population so that if you don't know what that means. That means that 50, more than 50... <laughs> we're getting old. More than 50% of the people in the United States are elderly. And I feel like the elderly tend to stick with their more traditional beliefs, which is why sometimes it's so hard for Democratic candidates to get to positions of power. And also why such an unorthodox candidate, even in, even in the Democratic Party, an unorthodox candidate such as Beto can be a turnoff to old voters in the Democratic Party. Because 
let's face it, they're all old, they're all there are old liberals. And my heart goes out to you guys. <laughs> Love you. But um, yeah, Beto, who's so eccentric and weird and quirky, and like that can be kind of a turnoff, especially when you're not really paying due attention to the media because the media is so important, especially in elections. Like we live in 2019. The media can really make or break your campaign. I wanted to go off of another point you made, specifically about Iowa and how unstructured Beto's campaign was. Yeah. So I was reading an article, um, I think it was on NBC News. Uh, It was about how when Beto was going to give his speech in Iowa, this was very recently, it was like the day he dropped out of the presidential campaign, his manager or someone along those lines, part of his staff, did not even know that he would be dropping out that day when he was in Iowa. So when he gave his speech in Iowa about how he was dropping out and he was hugging people and people were crying, I feel like there was a way more structured way he could have gone about dropping out. Instead of not letting parts of your staff know. So I would totally... 100% agree with the fact that if he had ran a more structured campaign such as accepting money from PACs because let's accept it in this day and age if you don't have the money to run for president you're not gonna you're not gonna run for president and it's different because Donald Trump he himself is a billionaire so so he can fund whatever and and he's taking money from corporations and he's in bed with corporations and everything so although Beto is a multi-millionaire he never made that money so I don't think he was going about it the right way. He was trying to make it seem like he wasn't a multimillionaire and he wasn't funding his own campaign, when in reality, he should have been doing that. He should have been accepting money from PACs. He should have been accepting money from um, himself just to run for president. And I feel like I get it. I get that you don't want to accept money from PACs. I get that um, you want to appeal to the people that don't like the PACs, specifically Gen Zers and... um, like millennials, they don't like the PACs. They feel like they have too strong of a chokehold on the candidates. And that's true. That's 100% true. But there's a difference between not accepting money from PACs and accepting money from the right PACs that support what, yeah. you're, what you believe. Yeah, and also, like, I just feel like it's not that heavy of an issue to voters that it's going to be a make or break thing, especially with so many candidates in the field. You know, there's still a huge swell of support from behind Joe Biden who launched his campaign at a party with Comcast executives. Exactly. One of the worst companies, arguably, in the entire country. And and there's still this huge support for him. So I feel like Beto really should have uh, been careful about picking and choosing which issues he's willing to, you know, stand on the hill and die for. Because, you know, he did take a big hit with that when he gave that speech about guns and everything. And, you know, he's constantly taking these hits. He's, make, he's making himself seem a very principled person. But honestly, he's taking stands for things that aren't going to get him they're going to hurt him more than they're going to help him and it's 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 kind of crappy to say that that candidates should have to pick between you know their principles and their support but with such a large diverse field you really do have to take that into account but also something that you said totally gave me like some deja vu thing um when about Beto and how his staffer didn't know that he was going to drop out and yada 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 and it just gave me like total flashbacks to when I was listening to this podcast episode around the time hmm? oh my gosh not the Ben Shapiro thank god it was not Ben Shapiro but around the time that Trump was uh threatening tariffs on Mexico not the first time the second time most recently and they were saying that journalists were going into the White House and asking staffers like hey what's going on what can we publish and the staffers were like absolutely clueless because 
he changes his mind all the time no one knows what's going on and I think that effective communication is not to be cliche one of the backbones to a successful campaign and we're seeing that Beto on all level from monetary to you know his staffers to just his message as a politician lacked that cohesion and lacked that effectiveness which ended up I think being one of the biggest downfalls to his entire campaign. Even then, I feel like it wasn't completely his fault. I feel like he was pushed into um, the candidacy for president. I feel like people saw what he did in Texas and how he almost took out an incumbent and they wanted more. But I feel like the way he went about it did eventually make him take too many hits to his campaign and then eventually that did lead to his downfall. Yeah. And but on that note, like, yeah, once again, he was such a media-hyped candidate that made people really want to see him. And, you know, that kind of reminds me of Joe Biden. Like, as soon as Donald Trump was elected president, everyone was like, Joe Biden's going to run for president. Uh, remember when Kanye was running for president for, like, five yeah. minutes, apparently? Oof. Like, that, the people have such a, a strong opinion, and they honestly do get to pick their candidates sometimes. But, um, oh, yeah, I was going to say this. Even though I do not agree with Beto on the way he's handled his campaign, on the views that he's taken, on the avenues that he's taken, and and you know, I don't think he should have dropped out. Beto. I was I actually disagree. I res- I am very very glad that Beto had the will to drop out because like Kevin and I were talking about in the last episode is, and and Beto almost actually said. And that my service will not be as a candidate, nor as a nominee of this party. Basically, Beto, is, he said, like, my service to the country is, is not going to be through this campaign. I also, like, have a duty and obligation to serve my party. I think that's really important because the Democratic Party is really struggling with cohesion right now. And Beto recognizing that he should drop out in order to give his party the best shot at winning the general election was something that I had been waiting to see from all of these candidates. I've been waiting to see it. Yeah, waiting to see it from the rest of the 17 candidates. Like, come on. Like, Tom Steyer, like, why are you still in the race? Like, dude, we get it. You're rich. And that goes back to what I was saying, that a lot of them have the same viewpoints. I just feel like they're taking it personally and want they themselves to be president. So I feel like that's where they're not taking into account the constituents. If you're forcing people to pick between 17 candidates... That's... So you're never much. gonna you're never gonna expect to win yeah. president. And you people need to, who are polling at less than one percent that are still in the race, like I honestly just cannot fathom. Like at this point, we're only a couple months out from Iowa and a couple months out from New Hampshire. If you're not making the debates, there's gonna be nine and then five. I think that's the numbers. Nine in the next debate, five in the next one. If you're not one of those nine, why are you still in the race? There's no you know, there's no public swell of support for you. You're obviously not polling well enough in Iowa. And, and honestly, like, I really hope Iowa can cut down this field because I think more people should do what Beto did and recognize that their party, their support to their party at sometimes can totally supersede what they feel is best for their personal political career. Which begs the question, who do you think is going to follow next in Beto's footsteps? Stop, that's what I was going to say. Kamala Harris, for Kamala sure. Harris. Okay. She's showing all the warning the signs. signs. She is unstructured <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. And, and she's shedding. She's hemorrhaging money. She's shedding staff in Iowa, of all states. 
to be cutting your staff in Iowa, like, that's pretty much just a death wish. Is she accepted into the debate? Because I know that Beta wasn't, and that's part of the reason why he dropped out. He wasn't able to go into the debate or something along those lines that I was reading. He wasn't able to go into the debate, and he he didn't have a lot of money, and that was his reasoning for dropping out. Yeah, I know. Kamala Harris is going into the debates. Um, however, like we talked about, um, she lacks, I think, she's obviously hemorrhaging money. She's dropping staffers in the most, the, arguably the most important state in the entire primary season. That's why everyone sucks up to them. Um, but she's also not as uh people were attracted to her initially because of like her spunk. The way that she came after Joe Biden and 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 railed on him for that. Um, but even then, I think she should realize that he is part of the party, too. Mm-hmm. They have a common enemy. All of them, all 17 of them are saying we need to take Donald Trump out of office. So I feel like railing on someone who is supposedly leading the polls, because I've never actually heard someone say they're voting for Joe Biden except <laughs> Patrick Flanagan. Shout out to you, Patty. But oh. I've never actually heard someone say that they're voting for Joe Biden, yet he's leading the polls. So I feel when she is railing on him, it shows that she doesn't have the best interest of the party at heart. Yeah, no, I think if Kamala could just gracefully bow out, A, she'd save herself a lot of money, a lot of time. B, if she leaves now with dignity, she can make an amazing vice presidential candidate. I mean, Warren and Buttigieg, uh, and, and who are considered some of the two out of the top four do not poll well with African Americans at all. So if she drops out, all of her voters would be given to yeah them, which would also help to... She would set an example for the other 17. Yes. Because the thing is, like, Beto dropping out was big because Beto is higher in the polls than a lot of the 17 people that are left. You know, he's not at the bottom. He's not polling. He's above Yang. He's above... I think he's above Booker. <laughs> so he's above a lot of other big candidates too. So him dropping out, I think, could be the catalyst that the Democratic Party needs to get its ass in gear and consolidate this field, this huge field. Because and I think if that next person could be Kamala, then their main goal of getting Trump out of office will never come to light, and that is a fact. I feel like they need to accept, and if they don't, it yeah. won't happen. So I feel like Kamala Harris. Okay, let me just. If I was in her place, and I was as you say, hemorrhaging out all of this money, I feel like I've put too much money into this. I need to keep going. Yeah, I think that's what people think is they've gone so far. I mean, at this point, if, if Beto's been, Beto had been campaigning for nearly a year. So you get to these points where, like, I guess it's hard for us to understand, like, the blood and sweat that goes into this. It's campaigning for so long. It's taxing on you, your mentality, your family. So I, I do see the appeal to not give up. But honestly, like, numbers don't lie. Unless, of course, you're a boomer and you don't believe in climate change. Okay, boomer. <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> but, but numbers don't lie. If you're polling consistently under 1%, like... I feel like they need to come to terms with the fact that they're blowing a lot of money. And mm-hmm. if they keep going... they'll Tom blow Zier, even, we're talking about you. <laughs> they'll keep blowing even more money than they already have. And they're blowing money that could be funneled into the general election. That is true. Because there's big Democratic donors behind these people and they're just wasting money on candidates that really can never win. I mean, like... There's people running that I didn't even know were running. There's, like, this congressman or something from somewhere um, that played, like, professional basketball back in the day. And, like, dude, I, I didn't even know he was running. 
right now I'm focused on the big three because we know that it will end up between them. Yeah. So Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Kamala. So well, speaking of that, I heard something very interesting. This was on Ben Shapiro's podcast oh. again. And it was very interesting because I had, once again, a glimpse into this mindset. But I had never, ever, ever heard this before. And it was that Buttigieg is apparently the one to rival Elizabeth Warren in this current Democratic field. And, like, Buttigieg himself was saying, like, oh, I think it's down to a two-man race. I think it's getting near there. And I have never, I didn't even hear this. Like, Buttigieg is obviously on my radar, for sure. But I never, ever would have picked him as one of the top three. I would have picked Sanders, Warren, Oh, I definitely left out Sanders. I was going to say that. Yeah, Sanders, Warren, and Biden. Not not even a heart attack can stop Bernie (laughs) Sanders. But we have to, I think, I was thinking about this. So, Let's think about Obama. When he went into office, he was young, he was fresh, he was ready to go. He came out of office, grayed, tired, and so I'm sad what my country did. What, our, what this what, country what did to they Obama. did to Obama? I will never forgive. But let's think <laughs> about preach. let's think about 80 year old Bernie Sanders going into office already gray, tired. I mean, he has nothing to lose, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> But let's think about the stress that an old man who has already suffered a heart attack will go through yeah. when he is president. I think that that's going to hurt. Bernie's recent health, health complications mm-hmm. are going to hurt his chances a lot because people are going to see that and they're not going to be – they're going to be more skeptical about it. I personally know a lot of people that switched simply because of that because they realized that, hey, he's old. He, won't he be like the oldest candidate if he? He'll gets be the in, only pr- oldest president. Yeah, oldest president, president. Yeah, that's what I meant. He'll be the oldest president if he gets into office. So if that does happen, you have to realize: Are you spending your time wisely on who you're camp- like who you're campaigning for, who you're voting for? Because chances are, people are not going to vote for Bernie Sanders for his vice president. Yeah, even though he probably pick someone good, he'll probably pick someone either currently running now or someone who's already prominent in the field. People do not vote for people for their vice president, and that just goes to show with, you know, Donald Trump and, and Mike Pence. They're similar, but, like, honestly, there are people that like Trump that don't like Pence, people that like Pence that don't like Trump. But even then, I feel like a lot of people won't vote for Bernie simply because they won't end up like Europe. Yeah. Let's put it that way. <laughs> he wants Medicare for all, and I feel like a lot of the people, <clears throat> the 50%, over 50% aging population in the United States, don't want to <laughs> end up. Do not want that. Don't want to end up with Medicare for all because they feel like they've earned their right in society and where they are, and they feel like that should stay the same. And I kind of would have to agree. I don't think Medicare for all would personally work for the United States, considering the fact that we are an amalgamation of every single different type of person even though there are some people who um want that to not be true aka the authoritarian president we have right now (laughs) he doesn't like the amalgamation but because there are so many different types of people i personally don't think it would work just because like the model he's proposing financially i don't think that would work considering that we are trillions of dollars in debt and yeah and big pharma just chokehold on so many things that I don't think it would work. Yeah, well, speaking of Medicare for all plans, Warren, Elizabeth Warren just came out with hers very, very, very recently. She's getting a lot of backlash due to lack of consistency in her numbers. One thing I like about Bernie Sanders, at least he's honest, when his plans take $16 trillion, he says, hey, this is going to take $16 trillion. Uh, but Elizabeth Warren has seemed to kind of like 
cut down some numbers. She's double dipping on where her funds are going. Her plan just doesn't seem to be as, as well thought out as I wish it would have been, especially considering she's dubbed herself the plan candidate. But yes. And that leads back into Beto because his Medicare ex, he was so like contradictory every time he would bring it up in different situations. He would be like, oh, it's backed by the government for this. And then so, like if he went to a different debate or campaign or speech, he would say that um, that it was just universal Medicare. That yeah. it didn't it didn't line up with what he was saying. I would just like to say I just got a notification from AP breaking news. God, this is making me so pissed off. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is opening the door to a presidential run, saying the Democratic field is quote not well positioned to defeat President Trump. I mean, as that is a sign. As we're sitting here talking about how we don't need someone, I'm telling you guys, Beto did not create a power vacuum. No one needs to fill it. You don't need another candidate. It is not an excuse for someone else to there join the race. There are 17 people that can fill Beto's void. Even then, I will it's correct myself and say the top four <laughs> yeah. can fill that void themselves. And if we have, if Kamala Harris drops out, it it really it really isn't as big of a deal as I think some of the Democrats are making it out to be. Hmm. I think that if we focus our resources then we have a good chance we i'm saying we a lot <laughs> if they would have a good chance of um not politically affiliated <laughs> i'm i'm modern left-leaning <laughs> but i feel like if they focus their resources they would have a good chance of getting trump out of office so so that is a good place to i think conclude this episode i think we've Kind of agreed that we need to see more candidates drop out in the way that Beto did. <laughs> a cough, Kamala Harris. But that being said, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Idiot Soup. And thank you, Angelina, for being our guest. We, I, really appreciate it. I'm so honored. The um, Soupies appreciate yes, it. The Soupies, <laughs> please don't forget to tell us what y'all want to be called. Yes, we do want to know. But yeah, so thank you for listening to this episode of Idiot Soup and tune back in next time. We will also be releasing a mini episode in the middle of this week. So also tune in for that. So goodbye. 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 We out. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Idiot Soup Podcast. You can find us online at idiotsouppodcast.com, on Instagram at idiotsouppodcast, on Twitter at idiotsouppod, and also on Facebook, idiotsouppodcast, a political podcast. You can listen to future podcast episodes on YouTube, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more platforms. You can find all of those platforms out on our website, and feel free to contact us. So, goodbye. Goodbye.